you know, my dad was the guy I looked up to, obviously, growing up, and he was a big drinker. Um, and I was kind of nervous about telling him when I was going sober. I felt like I remember putting in the call, like a FaceTime, and I was like, right, okay, I need to tell my parents, like, almost like coming out. I was like, <laughs> being sober. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast with guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people who've overcome a variety of obstacles, including addiction, trauma, and mental health issues. And they've used these adversities as their greatest advantages to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. We thank you guys for listening to Knocking Doors Down, of course, on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, of course, at KDD Podcast. Because you might be like Mikey and Visual, and if people go to the website, they can check it out on... On YouTube! Check it out. I'm a visual guy. Plus, if you are a fan of the podcast, do us a favor. Share one of those videos. You can get the link there. Or if you're uh, listening here, it's easy to share the podcast with a friend and it helps us grow. And we definitely appreciate that. We're talking with Matt Pink. What's going on, good sir? How are you? Living the dream. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks for getting on in the uh, UK. What's uh, what's cracking over there? Because it's uh, as we're recording, it's like eight, nine at night. Uh, seven o'clock at night. Yeah. It just got dark, freezing cold, hoping for spring to be around the corner. Um, but apart from that, we're all good. Well, yeah, we're coming up on spring too. These uh, trees got <laughs> pollen out of nowhere and your boy's <laughs> stuffy again. So that's fun. <laughs> well, we're going to get into a lot of different stuff and really want to know how you kind of fell uh, into addiction, you know, some of the background and things like that. But are there really any things now like that you continue to um, that you struggle with or things that you work through daily? I know for a lot of us in recovery, we talk about our defects that we really have to check daily. Um, do you have any of those? And if so, what are some of those practices that you use to check those? Yeah, I suppose I have like um, a rolling mental checklist and I, I, I don't really particularly record it, but I know that if I'm feeling a specific way, I kind of run through it. So have I slept well? Have I eaten well? Have I exercised? Have I connected with friends and family? That kind of thing. Uh, and then I, I, I play a process of elimination. So I can usually find out pretty quickly. But the one that um, really I rely on heavily is exercise. If you talk about like a transfer addiction, I've probably moved into that. And I think that's good because it's onto obviously a positive thing. But I do pretty much hit the gym up every you know, five or six times a week without fail. And if I don't go for a few days, I really feel that mentally. So that's probably the main one. I was going to say, do you feel off when you don't go to the gym? Yeah, I really, I do. I, I, and I feel like probably a bit guilty if I don't. Um, and I feel like I'm only doing myself. I, I kind of have big end goals now, like goals I've never had before. And I see myself every day working towards those goals. So if I don't go to the gym, that's not working towards my goals, which means I'm plateauing, which means I'm not making any progress, which then demotivates me and makes me feel guilty. So I kind of, yeah, that's where I'm at with that one. Sure. Yeah. No, I totally get that. If I don't go to the gym, then I try to eat healthy at least so I can justify, well, I didn't work out today, but I ate really well. And now that football season's done, that means no more pizza on Sunday. So that's a plus because that was, you know, a cheat day, but I get it. What kind of transpires though, if you, you miss it, cause you're, you're family man, uh, right? Wife, kids. Yeah. Wife, kids, and, um, another kid on the way. So oh. yeah, busy. Is it, I, I haven't revealed that on my social media yet. There you go. There's an exclusive. You heard it first. <laughs> it just here, slips folks. out. <laughs> hey, congratulations <laughs> to you folks. That's awesome. 
Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, busy with family, but you know, that is family first. It's one of the biggest things, um, biggest things in my life, really. I think that neglect that I, you know, I prioritized drinking for a long time and now I prioritize my family. I really prioritize my family like every single day. So, um, but yeah, if I, if I don't, I, I, you have so much time in your life. You have so much time in these, you know, these days that we have, but we, we, go through this we live this myth thinking that we haven't got enough time and it's only when you give up drinking that you realize that you do have enough time to be a family man you do have enough time to go to the gym five six times a week and you have enough time to you know change help change people's lives and live a you know good lifestyle so i think um yeah i think i can fit it all in pretty easily it's it's all that uh, bullshit of uh, of our addiction and what we tell ourselves, right? Because we prioritize, like you said, getting out to the pub or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, definitely. That was my priority. Like for probably twenty years, uh, built gradually building up, building up, building up, and you know, I'd wake up a weekend thinking, right, if I feel like sh- if I wake up feeling like shit, I'm thinking the first thing is, can I? Am I going to have a beer at lunchtime? When am I going to start to feel normal again? I don't feel like. I shouldn't have done that. Let's have a week off. My natural instinct was like, where's the next drink? And I did that for 20 years. And then suddenly time went like that. But um, now that I don't do that, I realize I have so much more time in my life. And yeah, I was telling myself just a load of shit for the last 20 years. Well, how do you, or or how, not only how, but what do you do to, because we got to, you know, people, when I say, oh, we got to take care of ourselves first, they think, oh, that's, you're continuing just to be selfish but how did you really uh, reconcile? Hey, I've got to like get match shit in order. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to prioritize my family. I think when I first went sober, I really went like all guns blazing. I lost loads of weight. I was running loads. I was feeling good and I was sleeping well and I was eating well and I was probably on the top form I've ever been on. I kind of went from one extreme to the other. And then I was able to, um, deliver everything I wanted to be and be the person I wanted to be but after a few months of doing that I think I started to kind of plateau a bit and get a bit comfortable in my sobriety um and I think that's now where I know that you know that's not where I want to be and it might be it might be that instead of drifting off back into sort of drink it was maybe chocolate or pizza or um yeah just being a bit lazy I guess and not stimulating myself and not keeping the ball rolling so now I know the, <clears throat> the importance of that. And now I know I've got that as a reference point. So I make sure that I'm the best version of myself. You can't drink, you know, you can't drink from an empty cup. Is that the phrase? You can't feed from an empty cup? I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> but people talk, I say it in my book, I say, I say in my book, I say like, um, people talk about whether your glass is half full and glass is half, dem- half empty. And I'm like, just fill the fucking glass up and then worry about everything else after that because you know, once your glass is overflowing, that's the bit where you can start giving back to other people. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see that. I don't see that as a selfish act. I think many people do, but um, it's not like we're putting ourselves first by going and sitting in the pub with our friends all night, putting ourselves first by waking up early, doing good things, exercising, doing things, giving up time to do things like this to help other people. So that's a different kind of selfish, I guess. What was uh, for you that, as we call it here, I'm not sure there, you know, the rock bottom, the point where it's just like, this shit has to stop. Um, <clears throat> I got, there was kind of, it wasn't um, a particular moment, but there was quite a long period of time where um, my drinking really, I don't know if you guys know, but I lost my son in 2013. So mm-hmm. my son suddenly died in his sleep. Um, and he was four and a half months old. So we called it, Cot death or sudden infant death syndrome. There's various names for it. 
Um, and that was kind of the point in my life where I, I, my alcohol relationship changed from something that I wanted to do to something that I needed to do. Yeah. Um, because everyone around me was flaking. You know, my wife at the time, my parents, everyone was like broken. So I had to sort of pull myself together and crack on, you know, with life. Um, but someone told me these words and they said, look, if you, time is a healer. Um, and I remember thinking, well, if time's a healer, drinking makes time go quick. And if I drink in two years time, I'm just going to come out of this shit and be like a new man and ready to go. And obviously that didn't work. Five years later, I was, you know, broken and put on weight. I was, you know, shit dad, shit guy, really. Um, not doing great things. Cost me That ended up costing me my marriage, you know, moved out of my family home that I'd worked so hard to kind of create and pay for. Um, and then I was like sofa surfing around central London, um, not really knowing where I was going to sleep from one night to the next. Um, so life went pretty shit pretty quickly. And that was kind of my rock bottom moment um, when I thought this isn't, you know, I was doing two, three day benders. I was, you know, sniffing cocaine, you know, doing anything I could get my hands on, basically, just kind of like had enough, lost all respect for myself. Um, and then at that point, I had I had a pretty mad story, actually. Um, I had a, I'd been to see a spiritualist when my son died, something that I never thought. I thought it was just a load of shit. I didn't believe in it. At the time, my mum used to go periodically. She used to come back and, like, crying and show me all these things and telling me all these things. And I just used to think, like, it was you know, obviously they're going to say your great nan wanted to speak to you or your great granddad wanted to speak to you and all these people that were obviously dead. Um, but they did tell me some like quite cool stories. But anyway, in an act of desperation after my son died and I went to see one and that I had this amazing like half an hour with this woman. She just like told me he was there. Like she didn't know who I was. She told me he's there. She told me he's, he's a reoccurring spirit. And she told me lots of things about him. And it just made me feel so much better. And at the end of it, I she held my hand and I was like crying. She said to me, uh, are you okay? And I said, yeah, but I want to come back. When can I come back? Cause this, this is the first time I felt like relief. And she held my hand and she looked me in the eye and she said, don't worry if we need you, we'll come to you. Mm-hmm. And anyway, fast forward these years later, when I'm sofa surfing around central London, standing outside a bar and this guy just appeared out of nowhere. And again, I talk about this in my book, but he just came up to me in the middle of the street out of nowhere. I was standing outside my friend and he just started, telling me that I need to speak to you. You're doing too much. You're drinking, you're drugging, you know, you're doing too much. You're a good guy. You've got a lot about you. You're going to live till you're 97. This is what, you need to start telling me I was close to a flower. My daughter's name is Lily. Telling me is like, you've got no brothers, no brothers, but you've got sisters, two sisters, twin sister, twin sister, and all this stuff that is completely true. Um, and he said to me, you, you've got a lot going for you in your life. If you stop doing these bad habits, then you're going to live a long, healthy life and you're going to help lots of people. And it was the first and he just disappeared into thin air. Um, you didn't know who it, this guy was? Did. No, no one didn't know who he was. And luckily, my friend was with me because I think people would have thought I was just, you know, mega drunk. Um, mm. But it was for real. It happened. And he was there with me. And it was just crazy. And that was the first moment where at that point I was I was floating around, not really with any purpose. And he kind of gave me a sense of direction um, and a bit of a reason for living and kind of wake up call. And he also said to me, that um, you're seeing a girl, something to do with K. I can see a K. You're seeing a girl, something to do with K. I'd started seeing this girl called Kirsty, who I met on Tinder. And um, he was like, she's good for you. You need to go with her. You need to go with her. Um, and I ended up going, you know, I called her up, met her, moved in a week later. Now we're married and expecting a baby. So um, that all came from that conversation pretty much. So that was my 
<clears throat> rock bottom, but it was also my springboard back into life. Almost like that's that, uh, as a lot of people talk about, moment of spiritual awakening. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm, I was like your typical beer drinking lad. You know, um, I was not into that kind of thing at all before. And now I, I, it's part of my practice. I do like meditation. I, I, I openly connect with the world, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I, I believe in it. I think it's there. It's helped me. I know it's there. And now I just, I, I kind of trust the universe. The universe has your back, right? And yeah, I think that that security I've now have in my mind, knowing that people are there looking out for you, um, really helps me and really helps me deal with the grief of my son, but also helps me look forward and be positive. Your Tinder is a lot different than ours, man. <laughs> you married your Tinder. I, the ones that I see on Tinder are the ones trying to get me to join their OnlyFans account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been a while since i've been on it but i don't know what it's like oh, yeah, i know i deleted I, just, <laughs> I enjoyed the process though sure yeah. 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard and always striving to make those dreams your reality we believe life is too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Uh, where for you, do you, do you think, um, you know, the substance abuse and everything, you know, obviously your, your son's death and, and, uh, you know, our, our love to you on that. I, I can't imagine, uh, going through that. Was it something that it was just kind of what everyone did go out to the pub, the football matches on, you know, so it was just kind of that way you felt was the only way to have connectivity or were there things with you as, as a kid that kind of you think trauma moments or something that led you down that path prior to your son? Obviously that's like, you know. Yeah. No, do you know what? I had a great childhood. I've got uh, nothing to complain about. No traumas. I was really fortunate, but what I am is I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So when we went out as with me and my mates, we'd go out and we'd drink. And like what happened was, they would kind of, when we got to our late twenties, they'd they'd start spending more time with their families and sort of drifting off the drink. And I'll be like, "Where's everyone going? Finding new people to hang around with." Because I was only going one way. And then when my son died, it just accelerated even further because I just relied on that was my escape, that was my out. Um, so yeah, I think it, it was more of a case of it was on the incline anyway, my drinking, and then that just exacerbated it, and I was off then. Um, and then then I you know became it wasn't enough. So I was smoking and I was sniffing gear and, you know, anything else I could kind of get my hands on when it was, when it was the real rock bottom. But do you know what? I feel like that's paid in a weird way. I'm kind of glad that I did all that shit because I think now I feel like I've completed it. I don't want to go back to that. I know what it's like. I've done everything you could do a million times and, you know, it's the, it never ends up really as fun as you think it is at a time. It's not fun in the long run. And now you come away from it. And you look back at it, um, it's actually horrifying in some ways, some of it. Um, so yeah, I think it played, I think doing that in such a short space of time and having a real like go at it 
made me the person I am now, but it also secures me hopefully going forward because I don't have any inclination to go back there. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I recently did a speaking engagement to some high school students and I was just like, yeah, because, you know, uh, jail cells and handcuffs are really fucking fun. You know, yeah. Oh, it's it's like enough shits happened that I have no desire to go back. I I play the story out pretty quick. Yeah, I have one drink, then I'm driving again, and disappearing for a day or two, and you know, and then I come to, and it's like you know, hands behind the back, and you know, these aren't the bracelets I want to wear. So it's pretty <laughs> shitty. Um, why write a book? Uh, because I've had this like powerful you know, intense, horrendous story, really. Um, and I think I just, when I went sober, I just had this real, like, urge to share my story. I don't, I can't explain it. Maybe it's back to the spiritual piece, but I just wanted to write it down. At the time, I, when I started, I just wanted to write it down, just to write it down, just to get it out of my head. And I was sober and I was kind of just in this moment where I wanted to put something on paper. I wanted to get stuff out of my head. I wanted to, you know, get it out of my body, really. And as I was writing, I was like, this is actually quite good. Um, this would make a good story. And then it tied in with my recovery journey. People were like saying to me, what are you doing? Like, what you look better, you feel better, you like a different guy. Um, what are you actually doing? They wanted to know the detail. Mm -hmm. So I tied the two together. And I kind of, the first part of the book is a memoir talking about like very briefly about my childhood, but then obviously what happened with my boy. And then kind of a bit about what, you know, the rock bottom moment, the spiritual, you, the, the visit I had from that spiritualist, et cetera, all of those kind of things to build the picture. And then I, I wrote it in a step-by-step -step guide, like in a chronological order, what I did. It's called Better Me, Better You. And the Better Me bit for each section is basically what I did and what I experienced. And then the Better You bit is literally just an instruction of what you could do. So it's written in a really simplistic way by me, someone who didn't do very good at school. Um, and I think that kind of is one of the reasons it's done really well, because it's so easy to read. It's easy to pick up and put down. You can re reference back to it with clear action points. And it's true. And it's lived by me. And um, yeah, that I'm really proud of it. It's done really well since it came out last year. Were there any surprises uh, for you in putting the book out of the feedback you've gotten? Did you do any public signing speaking along with the book that uh, the things that you didn't expect people to say? Yeah, I'm surprised with how well it's done. I'm surprised how how many people have have enjoyed it, have given me a glowing review, and then also passed it on to someone else. I'm, I'm now at a stage because it's in November. It came out. Look, I'm getting a lot of people now saying I've read it and it's brilliant. It's changed my life. My husband's now reading it and he's read it and he's you know it's changed his life. And you know you, you get people sending you quotes from your own book like periodically on Instagram or. If people send you a, a really long message for saying you've never heard from them, but suddenly they've been following me for six months, they've read my book and they know everything about it. So um, it's, yeah, it, I think there's, there's two benefits for one of the benefits was definitely like a cathartic journey for me writing it and getting it all out of my head onto paper. I was really emotional when I was writing. I was really like, you know, I was in tears a lot when I was writing. I didn't expect that. So I think that was really good from a therapeutic stance. And then obviously, I think it's obviously helping other people as well, because specifically guys, um, you know, guys don't really, guys just want blatant instructions, really, sometimes. They just want to be black and white. This is what I did. That this, And I think that's where it seems to have worked. A lot of women are reading it and giving their to their husbands, because it's like, look, read this and just do it. Um, it's quite simple. There's not much more to it. 
And obviously everyone's different, but it, it does give you a really clear parameters of what could make your life better, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to get it now because you're talking about me. It's like, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Do you know how to get there? I do. Write it down. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not, I'm not the best always with the having to explore shit. Right? I'm very black and white. <laughs> yeah. I'm very black and white. Uh, well, <laughs> and I don't know about you, Matt, maybe what, you know, your generation you grew up with or your home life or whatever too. Also with men, oftentimes we're told, uh, don't show your emotions. Don't be emotional. That makes you a little bitch or whatever it is. And so we kind of don't open up about anything we're going through, which is so detrimental. And hopefully people that have read your book, men and, and, or listen to this podcast or both is great. Um, you know, for men, especially to open up, you know, Absolutely. And I think it's becoming more and more acceptable. And I think that one of the interesting things I discovered early on was when you look at the stats in AA, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in, in the UK, like 75% of people who go to AA are men. And if I look at my followers, 75% of my followers are female. And what that tells you is that the women are much more sober curious. They're much more open to a bit, you know, to changing their lives. They want to hear all about it. But then they ultimately will probably fix themselves before they need to go to AA. Whereas guys just don't talk about it, don't want to know about it, put themselves in a downward spiral, and then bang, they get caught drink driving or whatever it is, and they're suddenly they're in AA and they need to recover. So I think it says it all on paper, but I do think I've seen even in the one year that I've had my Instagram account, I've seen so many more men reach out to me, um, and I think it's becoming much more acceptable. And I think the more people like me and you guys that talk about it, the more acceptable it is. So we're, we're, we're shifting the needle the right way, but just still got work to do. Yeah, we do. Well, and I'm sure that as far as the women followers, you being a good looking dude doesn't hurt me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I don't know, mate. I'm pushing 40 next year. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm trying to look after myself. It's all right. I hit 44 this year, man. You're good. Don't worry. You continue to get better. Um, I'm 33, but I look 40. So that's why our followers are a little different there, Matt. Um, so you're doing something interesting. I saw in your bio on your, your Instagram, you're doing a, a no booze cruise. What, what really yes. inspired this? Yeah. Follow me at better life guy um, is, is my Insta name, but yeah, it's, it, it's going to be crazy. I did one last year. Um, it was like an idea I had. And I thought it was actually because of lockdown. I thought, right, how can I get, I want to do an event, but mm. everywhere in London requires you to spend a minimum amount, which is a lot. And when you're getting sober people in a bar, they're not going to spend a lot, obviously. So it was going to end up costing me a lot of money to do an event. So I was thinking, how can I do it in a way that it's not going to cost me loads of money and I can get people isolated. And I thought if I do it on a way I could sell a ticket, then that'll work. So I thought I'd do it on a boat ride down up and down the River Thames or past like the Houses of Parliament in London. You know, so this is a boat trip. Everyone's isolated. So, um, we, you know, we're all together. Everyone's sober. I can start, we can stop the bar with alcohol-free drinks. And then we've got, you know, it's just a party boat, basically. And I can make it quite affordable and I can chuck in a few free drinks, etc. I did it last year kind of speculatively. Got 100 people on a boat um, and we sold it out. And then, so this year, I've just got a bigger boat, basically. Um, and I've really gone to town because there's things I didn't do last year. Like, I didn't do food. I didn't have a DJ. I just had a bit of music. And we were just going up and down the Thames. This time, I've leveled up. And, yeah, it's a, it's a boat that holds 200 people. 
it's going up and down the Thames still. We've made it all inclusive. So you get all of your drinks included and there's like mocktail makers, there's beers, there's beers, there's all sorts of things going on. I've got people doing a live podcast on board. I've got um, people playing music. I've got a live DJ set. I've got a photographer. Um, and ultimately what I've got is hopefully 200 people which are sober or sober curious which enables them to either come on their own or come with friends to meet other sober people so to kind of find your crew but also to explore the world like speak to like sober influencers like myself try drinks that you wouldn't necessarily try yourself the people that run the drinks brands are going to be on the boat to talk about it as well so it's just a really cool space that's open for anyone who's interested and um i'm hoping it's going to be an amazing day so yeah it's 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 exciting and i'm a little bit nervous about this one because it's just so big and it's really blown up um but yeah so i think it's a cool idea i want to come over to the states and do one in new york up and down the river too oh that'd be badass shoot we're in california but maybe that'd be a good reason to go to new york <laughs> check right? that out man H- halfway right yeah halfway so, we'll meet us. you in the middle yeah <laughs> so yeah that's it you brought up and and um I've enjoyed, you know, mocktails and stuff like that. And I like non-alcoholic beers. Have you encountered any people that that kind of have a pushback against that stuff? Yeah, I think so. Like the way I talk about it is always that I think at this one end of the scale to my left, you've got like a minor minority of people that are sober. To my right at the end of the scale, you've got people that are heavily like, you know, addicted and active addiction. I'd say that the people at the far end, right end of the scale probably shouldn't touch it if you really, you know, if you're going to be triggered by it and it's going to pull you back into, you know, alcohol. But the people I talk to are the people in the middle, which is kind of 80%, I'd say, of the world. There are people like middle lane drinkers, grey lane drinkers, people that just drink because everyone drinks and they drink because the football's on and they drink because it's Friday, whatever. These are the people that I'm really finding that I relate to because they, that's why I call myself the better life guy because mm. it's not just about not drinking that's the first step but then it's about what next and i think that's where i'm changing people's helping to change people's lives because you give up the alcohol thing do that but then start meditating eat well you know sleep well enjoy yourself connect with your family and all these other things and that's why uh that's all all encompassing so yeah i think sobriety is the first protocol but um the rest of it's kind of wrapped into it as well yeah, thank you for sharing because I've I, we've not really talked with anybody about that because I enjoy the the non-alcoholic drinks, the mocktails, things like that, a non-alcoholic beer. I, I like the taste of beer. I was actually a guy that did enjoy that. Um, I hate the shit part of the the getting sh- smashed and everything, but every now and then a steak with something flavored for beer. Like we had a Christmas party and I had a a non-alcoholic beer with our steak dinner and it you know i i enjoy that i know for some people maybe it's a trigger um i was gonna say i could see how that could be triggering sure for for some but i I know for me it is not so i just was wondering if you've had conversations with others yeah i definitely have i definitely people when i post about it because some brands send me stuff and i post it a lot of people will say you know shouldn't be advertising that or i can't drink that stuff and i'm like that's cool that's up to you I personally, I've gone on a bit of a journey with it. When I first went sober, I was smashing the alcohol-free beers. I was, I was cleaning up. I was having five or six in, you know, on a Friday night, which is crazy. But it helped get me off it. Right. And then I went for a stage a few months later where I didn't really have any. And now I'm at a stage again where I'm picking them back up because I'm treating them like an adult drink rather than like a beer. Like it's a point of difference. It's a Saturday night or 
It's if, if we're going out for a meal or whatever it is, I feel grown up having one. I enjoy the taste of it. I'm not looking at it as a replacement now for what was. I'm looking at it as an adult drink for now. So yeah, yeah. I think it's each to their own. Yeah, I, no, I agree. And I think going into that uh, conscious state of, of what it is for you, as opposed to what, what people want to tell others it is, you know, that's a decision we all have to make individually in our recovery, or just be like you said, being sober curious, you know, I encourage people like, I get home and, and I kind of did the same thing, but with, with bubbly water, with fizzly, fizzy water. I mean, I go through a, a 18 of those a week, probably, you know, cause it's kind of like, Oh, it's got a little bit of that flavor or something. And I, I don't know, it's still up there in that way. But what was it like when you met your wife now and sharing your past with her, if you don't mind talking about that, because sometimes that could be a heavy thing to work through when you're trying to build intimacy. Yeah, that was fucking brutal. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, that was uh, heavy. That was, but this this is crazy thing. It's, that was my therapy. I didn't really think at the time, but because like going back to the point where my son died and I looked around me and everyone was broken. She was the first person, my wife now, that I spoke to about it. And I was drinking at the time. And, um, and she was listening and she was, you know, I really care. I cared about her. I think I made a, that made it better because where I'd spoke to like a counselor before, I didn't give a shit about them. I was like, this guy's just a suit in a room. I don't really want to tell him all my story. Whereas when I was talking to her, I was like, I was really opening up and I was getting really emotional. And we went for a stage of about six months where, you know, we were drinking a lot together and like literally we would be sitting up all night and I'd just be pouring my eye out to her and she'd just be listening. Like I'd cry, she'd cry, we'd cry. And that that was what the recovery journey was because after six months, I started to think, you know, when we get the bottle of wine out to have another conversation, it was like, actually, do you know what? Let's not, let's just go to bed. And actually in the morning, should we go for a walk? All right. And that was like gradual points. You start thinking, fuck this, that's helped. Like I feel lighter for talking to her. I feel better for talking to her. And now I don't want to drink. And then it was like, that's when I started having a periodic, like I'd go two, three days without drinking. I'd be like, this is cool. This feels amazing. And I've sort of like you know, delivered all, get all this weight off of me. And so that, and then, but then I'd go back and do a three day drinking session. But the difference is I was conscious of it then. And I started drinking consciously and I was, I was drinking, I was pouring. I was like, do I want this? Do I like this? Is this good when I'm drinking it? The day after I'm like, this is shit. And then I'd go back and do a three day break again. And I'd be like, this is better. And then I'd go, you know, gradually, 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 it'd be like a week off the drink. I'd be like, this is amazing. And then I'd go and do a week on the drink. And I'd be like, this is shit. And then over a period of time, suddenly that was led to one day where I just woke up and I was like, that's it. I'm done. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really good question because that was a pivotal part of my, my recovery. Well, and we need that support. Everybody does, no matter what it is, if you're an addict or not, or mental health struggles or not, um, which generally... I have yet to meet someone that's an addict. You tell me if it's different for you or different for you, Mikey, that doesn't struggle with some sort of mental health issue and something underlying. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, and then that's where now I think without having the alcohol to really open up, I think I have to consciously make an effort. Sometimes I'll say to my wife, can I talk to you tomorrow night? Or if I know like the kids aren't around, can I just talk to you? And it might be me just talking out loud and it'll just spiral from one thing to another. And it might just be a load of shit, but, I try and make the effort to really talk because I think it's easy to go back into that trap of being a man and being a guy. So, but so far so good. And yeah, I, I'm almost enjoying it. I'd say. That's 
awesome. And good for your mental health too. Just getting whatever you have on your mind off your chest. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and trying to encourage it, you know, to her to do it and trying to encourage the kids to do it. You know, it's, it, I quite often ask the kids like open-ended questions, even though they're my little boys are only like five and six, but you know, how are you? You're good. How's everything at school? How are you feeling? You know, all these kind of things that I probably wouldn't have asked them before. Um, you know, I'd been asking for the future, just in a reaction. Like, how are you? You're right. Good. Yeah, yeah, good. Like now I'm like sitting down with them and I'm making eye contact and trying to like get it out of them. And, you know, I can see, you can see in your kid's eyes whether there's something up and so far so good on that one as well. Yeah. Actual fellowship, actual connection going on. Yeah, exactly. Pure connection. And we all need that in, in our, in our homes, you know, it's funny and thank you for sharing that. But I was talking with my kids about that the other day that, you know, yeah, you're going to face the world when you're going out there and you're going to have to carry your sword and shield, so to speak. But know that always the home you come to, that it's a safe place, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, the greatest gift. And having, yeah, having that experience and being able to share that with your kids, I think it's magic. And I think actually being a sober parent, like, is pretty magic as well, because I gave up when they were like two and three or whatever it was. Um, so they're only going to know me as a sober parent. And now what they see, you know, they every day they're like, oh, Daddy, you going for a run today? Or Daddy, my daddy eats healthy. Or my dad, you know, doesn't drink alcohol. And they just, they, 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 they're so conditioned at that age. And I think it's, it's pretty amazing that they're going to have a full life without, without seeing alcohol even in the house because my wife doesn't drink either. That's what I was going to ask if your wife drinks or not. So she doesn't as well. She, yeah, she gave up on, on that day I woke up and I was like, that's it. She said she'll do it with me, which is oh, pretty good. amazing. Yeah. Um, awesome. She, I mean, she's like, she's a glass of wine a night. Um, she's steady. Like she's, she would never run off and, you know, go on a three-day bender. So she's not like us. <laughs> so it wasn't as difficult for her, but I do mega appreciate it because it's just made life so much easier. Sure. Well, and that shows the depth of love that, you know, this, this thing, this substance was so unimportant that to be there for you and support you like that that can just go away it's not a necessity of life but loving you and building something with your relationship is yeah yeah exactly yeah i never thought of it like that that's a good way of putting it well tell her i dropped that bomb on yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> <I will. laughs> oh well man we're very excited for you and uh, that's awesome that uh, that you've really turned your life around how is it like with your family members now because you said that that kind of everyone went to shit you know your parents included um what has that yeah. transformation been like with the love outside of the home yeah do you know what it's been um crazy because my dad you know my dad was the guy i looked up to obviously growing up and he was a big drinker um and I was kind of nervous about telling him when I was going sober. I felt like I remember putting in the call, like a FaceTime. And I was like, right, okay, I need to tell my parents, like, almost like coming out. I was like <laughs> being sober. Um, and I remember that so vividly. And I remember he, I remember looking in his eye and I was like, he um, kind of, he liked that. He liked something connected with him. And he then, on the day, decided to give up for a bit with me. And he did 100 days sober when, when I first went sober. And then he went back to drinking and then when it was my one year anniversary last april he gave up again and he's not drunk since so he's pushing a year sober now which for someone who i grew up 
watching drink and you know loved to drink and has drunk all his life is pretty amazing and the person he's become um as well as the person i've become you know we're just we're on a different level of relationship now um it's like optimum uh and then you know my mum still drinks but she drinks a lot less because my dad doesn't drink so it's a good knock-on effect so my my relationship and my family is really is really the best it's ever been um and i think we're always going to have that hurt inside us and that but that's also that's what glues us probably together as well because we've all been through that together well that's pretty neat that you and your dad also share the same sobriety date yeah exactly and he, i didn't even know he was doing it he, he just he did it the first time he sort of told me a few days in and the second time he told me a few days in, i was like okay i didn't know how long he's going to do it for but now i'm like when he gets to a year i'm going to be like i really hope he sticks to it because He's just he's watching him you know, with, the, with my kids and stuff. He's just so much, he's just present. He's just there. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not that he wasn't before, but he's just improved so much on, on the, on the granddaddy is and the guy is. Everybody does, don't they? Like everybody goes sober, just becomes a better person. I can't really explain it, but um, yeah, I'm proud of him for that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Well, Matt... um... Before we kind of get to some final thoughts with you, we always like to ask the guests to leave us with uh, some words of encouragement. We do a fun thing of some random questions. Are you ready, good sir? Go for it. All right, Mikey, you're up. If you could have dinner with anybody in the entire world, living or not, who would it be? David Beckham. Um. Do you guys know David Beckham? I of course love David Beckham. <laughs> I love David Beckham. He was my like football hero when I was growing up. Um, style icon. Um, he's just I just everything about him. He's a great dad. He's a great family man. He's fucking handsome. Um, <laughs> he's just so uh, damn cool. Like everything about yeah. him is just so damn cool. I love that. Yeah. And then yeah, there was a so thing that I. came out with. Um, victoria beckham and they said somebody asked him like how come you never cheated on your wife like or something it was i thought it was kind of a dumbass question is because well because you're married you don't cheat when you're married but he said she's my best friend why would i want to hurt my best friend it's like gosh even his answers are perfect his airline's perfect he's gosh but yeah i get that i get that uh were you a soccer player or football player yeah 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 i loved it i i still I still like what I don't play anymore, but I love watching it, which is weird because I went for a stage when I went sober, I kind of went off football a bit because, you know, just association of like watching the pub and, you know, watching the bars at the weekend or whatever. Sure. Um, and now I've got back into it and I'm, I'm into it in a different way as well. Like I'm just a bit more into it and I like tech side of it or the fixtures or what's coming up or what the league table looks like rather than just like 
sitting in front of it with a beer and just it being on. Mm-hmm, I'm yeah. actually enjoying it for what it is and the talent that's on the show. So uh, I still can't get mad around your your football, but working on it. <laughs> um, American football. I like our football too much. I'm actually <laughs> um, kind of glad it's yeah. on because yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, what's your team? Man United, who uh, Manchester United, who obviously Beckham played for. So yeah. that's where the Beckham connection is. Hey Matt, since you're 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 a British man, can I get confirmation that yes, Lewis Hamilton was screwed on winning the championship this last year? Because I am a huge Formula One fan, and that's my guy. I just need somebody else behind me on this. Right. So I'm a massive Formula One fan. Like me and my dad have been going for. We go to Silverstone every year. We have done all my life, and um, we've been to. I've been to the Australian Grand Prix, Malaysian Grand Prix, Turkish Grand Prix. Um, <sighs> Where else have I been? Italy, Monza. I love it. So, yeah, I mean, I was nervous, so nervous watching the last few races because I'm a Lewis fan, um, obviously, and I thought Max was, you know, brilliant throughout the season, but all way too aggressive. Like, these are dangerous, dangerous cars going 200 mile an hour, and he pulled some real dangerous stunts. Um, but he probably deserved to win out of the whole thing. But I just don't think, I, I, I can't believe they made that decision on the spot that late in the day and just completely made it up so he was he was screwed in the moment for sure he outperformed yeah. himself in that last race but over the course of the season i think you probably got to say it's the right result yeah yeah I, I, I that's when people have asked me i go max uh, verstappen is a deserving champion my problem was that wasn't that lewis lost it was the violation of the integrity of the rules because yeah. of the set of rules, people are probably like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Is, you know, <laughs> is the, it, the, the decision that they made had to apply to every car on the grid, not just the ones that separated the leader from the guy in second place. And that uh, thus yeah. gave him the advantage. So for me, it was disheartening as a huge motorsports fan and a fan of sports that when you violate the rules of anything, it loses its integrity. And they did it for the sake of show. And not that, like I said, Max Verstappen wasn't a worthy champion, but it's like, anyways. Hey, thanks for being on board with me for that. Hopefully we didn't lose too many people. I'm going to follow you from my personal page. <laughs> we're talking this season. <laughs> Some other Formula One fans. Because I have no idea what the yeah. are talking about. <laughs> um, uh, top three favorite yeah, bands. I, lo- I love it. Top three favorite bands. Uh, oh, God. Um, do you know what? I'm really sad. My music choices are so sad. They're like really old fashioned. So I, I went and watched Aerosmith a few times. I, used to, I went for an Aerosmith um, time in my life and I absolutely love them. So I've got to say they're in there and I like that sort of rock style. I'm actually back into Guns N' Roses at the minute. I just did a few reels of Guns N' Roses. That's yeah, my all time favorite. <laughs> yes, I just sir. keep listening to their greatest hits and I'm just like, this is fucking epic every time. I just don't oh, yeah. get sick of it. Never gets old. Um, and I'm going to say Queen. I've been listening to as well. <laughs> really sad, sad, sad life. But there you go. Dude, we are the same. I swear. And David Beckham, Guns N' Roses, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> like, damn. We're going to have to meet up because like, if the New York uh, sober cruise happens, I, I think we get along a little too well. It's like all the same stuff. <laughs> um, hang on real quick. What's your favorite Queen song? 
uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, probably. Oh, okay. I mean, I love that one too, but mine's Don't Stop Me Now. I was seeing if we were how much on the same page we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. niching it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've got a book. Let's say somebody licensed it to make a movie. Who would you want to play you in the movie of your story? Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Um, he's, he's handsome as well. He's, I loved him in Star is Born. He plays a good drunk, but he's really sober in real life. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good answer. I think it's an excellent one. Mike, you that me out in that movie is I knew something. I've never seen the first one. I never saw the first A Star is Born with, uh, yeah, I never saw the first one. There's two before it. Nobody else knows that except you. I never saw the one. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows that. Um, I never saw the first one to where like people knew who, who, what was going to happen because they'd seen that one. I never did, but I knew something was going to happen to him when the first scene he's in the back of the car taking a handful of pills, drinking. I'm just like, I, I can already tell you he's going to die. And it's not a spoiler alert because the movie's been out for years. So, but it was just kind of like, man, I love Bradley Cooper. And I just knew something was going to happen. There's nooses, isn't there? Like in that scene as well, in the background, there's like a load of nooses oh, on the digital yeah. screen, which I didn't notice till the second time I watched it, but there's quite a lot. I did of not know that. Yeah, there is. Watch it again. You'll see loads of stuff like that. I'll have to oh, check geez. that out. I, did, I didn't catch that either until you brought it up. In the opening scene? Yeah, when he's in the back of the car taking pills and right at the start, there's like, he's in the dark and there's like a bright lights of like this, you know, like, I don't know, what advertising board or whatever. And it's got like about six nooses just hanging down on the screen i just got oh. the chills i don't know why yeah uh, there you really go. oh yeah for sure for sure um okay let me think what would be a good one? if you could have any superpower what would it be um to be invisible why is that for, for obvious reasons <laughs> 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 to get I don't know, to go into the girls' locker room at the gym. I don't know. Um, uh, It'd yeah, be okay to go could... stalk David Beckham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that'd just be useful in every single way, wouldn't it? You could just, you know, find out what's going on in the world. You could go and, you know, manipulate the the bank and kind of give yourself as money as possible. I don't know. There's loads of things you could do being invisible. I think it's limitless. So that would be the one I'd go for. What about you guys? I, I like that it was uh, for mischievous reasons. Teleportation. Yeah. Uh, Bam, I'm in New York. Bam, I'm back in LA. Bam, I'm ooh. in the UK. I don't need to fly. Yeah. Just teleport right then and there. You don't got to wait in lines. You don't got to go through security. You don't got to sit on a 12-hour plane ride. You're just there. Bam. Uh. If you're in a lock girl's locker room, you'd still be seen. <laughs> but you'd be gone in a second. <laughs> uh, mine, mine, when I, people have asked, is healing. Like if oh, someone had an ailment sake. and I could touch them, the, the, you know. The See, that just makes us look stupid. Now, Matt. Yeah. I, yeah, I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Mine would be healing too. <laughs> It's uh, it's just because I was there. Uh, Such a buzzkill. I was, I was <laughs> when my maternal grandmother passed away. I was in the room when my paternal, uh, uh, no, when my paternal grandmother. I was there hours before she did, and I, you know, I know there was a lot of pain. So it's not even necessarily heal them so that they 
you know, people don't pass, but that it, it was just more of a peaceful experience. So that's, nice. that's my thing. I know it. I'm the jackass ruining everything. Yeah, you got to kill the moment, <laughs> kill the vibe. <laughs> and then second would be the, the, the invisible going into the girl's locker room with you <laughs> to bring back the humor. Um, Hey, Matt, we really appreciate this, man. Um, before we ask you to leave us with some final thoughts and words, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, find you on social media, get the book, how can they do so? Yeah, so um, my website is www.betterlifeguy.com. My Instagram is better underscore life underscore guy. And on Facebook, I'm on Better Life Guy as well. Um, so that pretty much covers that. And then the book, yeah, Better Me, Better You, is on Amazon in pretty much most major countries around the world, um, definitely in the US and Canada. So that's all good. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much me. That's where I'm at, but mainly on Instagram. And Matt, if you could leave anyone that's struggling um, with maybe it's substance abuse or a mental health issue or just, you know, unfortunate uh, tragedies and tra- traumatic events that you, similar to what you've gone through, what might, might you uh, lend to them? I think what I say to people often is like, you know, alcohol is never the answer and going sober is difficult. But if you treat sobriety, like a, a relationship breakup, because, or, you know, it's two ways of looking at it. You, you get, you break up a relationship. It's really sucks for a few weeks or months. Um, and it's difficult. But after three months, you start thinking, okay, I feel a little bit better. And after a year, you, you can't believe you ever did it in the first place. And I think, once people like visually see that timeline ahead of them, they understand that when it's shit, they know that it's just shit because you've got to tick off this, check this day off, you know, in the journey, because every day we get closer to feeling better and living a better life. And I feel like if people know that journey and see that timeline ahead of them, it makes the journey a lot easier, specifically when you're you know, feeling it and it's tough. So I, I, you know, I'd suggest anyone should take a break from alcohol, give it a try three months, six months, you know, really, lean into the emotions you feel really enjoy the fact you get better sleep every night enjoy the energy you have enjoy the fact you're going to look better and feel better enjoy the fact you're going to be closer and better with your relationships and you know then you can make a decision what what you do longer term but yeah i think don't go straight into sobriety i think you don't you're going to drink you're not going to drink forever because that can be quite overwhelming for people but if you look at it and break it down if you're going to do three months try it see the vision ahead know that it's going to be difficult at times but know that it's a hundred percent worth it. Hey Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a blast. I'll come on again one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Hey Mikey, you got anything else? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down people. <laughs>